Hey, James, my order arrived. Oh, sweet. Hang on. I, I thought you were placing that order next weekend. Yeah, I am. But the deck isn't done yet. Even better, now I get to playtest. With what cards? I'm holding them right now. But you haven't built the deck! But I will have, and so I have. Hence the cards. Oh, right. Wait, what? Oh, man, my pay just arrived. Oh, so now you finally have the money for the order. No, now I need to go to work and then put on my suit and go to bed so I'm well rested for work yesterday so I can be paid today so that this order arrives. Well, this is not right. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Get Commanded podcast by the Greensboro Commander community. It's the GCP by the GCC, helping you to have better games of Commander. I'm your host, Walt. Hello, Commander players. It is me, your other host, James. And might I say, that was the most complicated time-twisting skit we have ever done. That was really hard to wrap my head around. I, yeah, look, I I lost myself halfway through. I was like, just just say the words. And I feel like there's an episode of Doctor Who where that happens, surely. <laughs> Wibbly wobbly. Time you me stuff. Nice. Uh, great. Well, look, before we get carried away with Doctor Who and various other things, um, we've got an incoming transmission, James. I know, I know who it is now. We're on episode, what is this, episode six? Six, yeah. Wow. We've been doing this for a while now. Six episodes worth yeah. of time. Six episodes <laughs> worth of time, which is, in fairness, after the last episode, a very long time. Oh, my goodness, <laughs> yes. Thanks for sticking with us for that last one. Uh, I promise this one won't be quite as long if, if me and James can rein ourselves in. But, um, look, the Space Commanders, they're coming in. It's from the deep depths of the galaxy. It's time to get commanded. The order in which you make game actions is important. Now, this episode is going to be... Full-blown spike mode. Yeah. Look, we worked out a few episodes back in the Playstyles one that Walt is a spike. James had some <laughs> spike tendencies, yeah. I think. I think everyone, to a certain extent, <laughs> likes to win. But this is this episode is definitely going to be about making sure that we play correctly and don't make any mistakes so we don't lose, which yes. is even worse as a spike. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. It's like not even so much about the winning. It's about the not losing. It's like that I must do things in a way that is not incorrect. Yeah. If that and makes I, sense. <laughs> I think, honestly, this one is probably the most... Like, this topic about the order in which and the sequencing of things. I think this is the one that's probably going to take people like it's small changes mm. but it changes people's gameplay from like level one commander player yeah. to level 10 like if you can understand this concept your gameplay and your your ability to win games is going to go up yeah for sure i think it's the kind of thing where like once you're aware of the decisions that you're already making mm. in the game you will just naturally get better at this, right? Yeah, like once, because you start to see the way that the cards interact, and yeah. so yeah, you just you're just gonna get better once you start noticing. That. And I think like, and and I know because like we we play with so many different people. Our community is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we've played with you know people that are day one commander players to people that mm -hmm. have been playing commander for about as long as the game magic has existed. And it's like it's it's now easy to see that the people with like a lot of experience see these game actions and the sequencing of things mm. as almost second nature yeah. whereas to some players some newer players and even me sometimes like i've i've had people go oh you probably should have done this first or that first and i go why and then they explain it and i go yeah of course i should have done that that yeah. makes so much sense and i think that's the way that this kind of this sort of topic unfolds is that at first it seems like it's being way too nitpicky and then you start to like it's often when you see the cards laid out in front of yeah. you you're like oh right and 
you know, it probably takes doing it wrong a few times. And to, to be completely honest, the, the idea of this podcast for me came from, uh, I'm not going to name names or even the scenario, but I saw a player, um, in my opinion, make, well, not in my opinion, it was just wrong. <laughs> but they, was it me? Was it, it was me? Not, it wasn't you. It wasn't you. But look, they, they, I saw it happen. I saw the, the order be not quite done the right yeah, way. Yeah, okay. Um, and look, to be honest, it's actually related to the, uh, to the first one I want to talk about here in terms of order, which is um, lands. Oh. There's a couple of aspects of this, but the, the one I want to start with is the order that you tap your lands in. So wow. I apologize. We're going. This is dry. really nitpicky. This is, is. incredible. And I, I imagine there's probably some of you that are listening to this now and going, wow, an episode in telling me to tap this land for. I'm tuning out. Don't <laughs> tune out. Because this is something that, like, when you realize why you tap lands in a certain order, mm. you will never tap them in the wrong order again. Yes. I completely agree. And so I'm going to get straight into what my yeah. recommendation for tapping them, which is, and look, the caveat that goes right off the bat in terms of tapping your lands is the exception is always going to be lands that have some kind of other ability. Like they kind of exist in their own world, right? Because, that have an activated ability. Yeah, yeah. Like, like Inventor's Fair or something. Yeah, Inventor's yeah. Fair or like the uh, Bonders Enclave, the great, one that- Great underrated card in my Yeah, opinion, yeah. So, like yeah. if you pay three, tap it, you draw a card. Room. Yeah, yeah. So any, anything that does that, you can always think of that as being your primary thing. Like, do I want to draw a card with it? But if assuming that there's no lands that do that, mm-hmm. you should always tap your colorless lands first, mm-hmm. then your basics. Makes sense. And then your lands that tap for multiple colors. You like your dual lands, your triumphs. Yes. Yeah. So basically, like, what will happen if you don't do this is you might get towards the end of the sequence of things you want to cast in your turn and realize, oh, crap. I need a white mana to cast this spell in my hand, this mm. path to exile that I really need to cast this turn. And because I've tapped my lands wrong, I, I don't can't have a white do source now. Yeah, and so like, look, some amount of it is going to be planning ahead, but mm. also if you leave those lands that produce multiple colors until the end, you're just going to end up in this situation a lot less, right? Because yeah, you, you've got options. Yeah, you get to the end of your turn, you'll be like, oh, right, I wanted to cast this Path of Exile. Oh, cool, I have these three lands that all tap for blue or white. So and let's I'm say, set. for example, let's say, yeah, we're in an Azorius deck, right? Yeah. In our hand, we've got a bunch of creatures that we want to slam on the field, but yep. we was all for, we've also got a Counterspell and a Swords of Plowshares. So we need to leave up essentially three lands. Mm. but they all need to tap for at least two blue or one white so we can do something. So like yes. the, having multicolored lands allows us to have those interactions. Let's say we end up tapping out and we only have two lands, but one of them's a dual land. Now we can either counterspell or path yeah. to exile. And those are going to be the situations that are going to, you're going to notice this the mm. most. And look, it's the kind of thing where if you do it right, it's kind of like a paradox of the way the human mind works. You're not going to notice that you've done it right because you got to play the spells, yeah, right? It worked. But, yeah, yeah. But I'm sure a lot of you can think of a time where you did do this wrong, right? Oh, where you tapped 100%. your lands and you got to the end of your turn and you were like, oh, I really needed to cast this spell yeah. and I can't now. Yeah. And I think for people with like, you know, especially people in, you know, more colors than two, mm. this is a really important thing for you to think about. Yes. Because especially if it's an instant speed deck and you're holding mana up for responses and stuff, mm. I think that it is incredibly important that if you're in three or more colors you need to think about the way you're tapping lands and i actually have Mm. a piece of advice or a way to train yourself to do this because i think a lot of us are very forgiving at a commander table especially when it's not competitive Mm. you know i'll I'll tap lands and i'll be like oh 
shit, um, can I change the way I tap? So and most can... people are fine with that, aren't exactly. they? Exactly. Yeah. And most most of the time you'll be at a table and everyone will be like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. Untap a land. You, you would have been able to do this. It's not hidden information. It's fine. And yeah. all that kind of stuff. But if you want to get better and if you want to be able to play at a more consistent rate and if you end up at more competitive tables where that's not okay and you can't make those decisions great way to train yourself out of it is make the mistake and live with it. I know it sounds like a dumb thing, but if, if you're at a casual table and you know that table would usually say, it's fine, tap and untap. A way to train yourself not to do it is live with your mistake. Yeah, I've been... I do this a lot, actually. Mm. I, I If I do the wrong play, I actually say to myself, no, I'm going to stick with that. Like yeah. I, I need to learn my mistake. And so if I'm always kind of getting out of... The mistakes that I make, maybe they won't sink in so much. Um, that's no, that's definitely a good point. Uh, I think another way you, you can kind of train yourself to be thinking about this is um, something I actually learned from you way oh, yeah. back. Well, I was kind of already doing it, but I didn't do it quite the way you did. Um, I used to pile all my lands up in like a few piles. And to be honest, it helped me to manage this same thing where I would have like lands that were colorless and then I'd have my blue sources. This, we're thinking of the Azorius thing again. Yeah. I'd have my blue sources, my white sources, my multi-sources. And so yeah. I'd tap from left to right. I have these th- like four, three or four piles. That's how right? I still sort my lands. Yeah, well, that. except I, I used to have these big long stacks. But oh, what... yes. I remember you yes, doing this. and you hated it. I hated, hated it. it so much. Uh, it infuriated me because you ended up like, you'd tap them all and they'd be beautiful. And then on your turn, you'd untap and you'd have this meter long stick of lands <laughs> <laughs> that like move forward on your playmat and it would infuriate me something rotten yeah because you weren't able to see what sources you were going through no i did that's what that's what the piles were they were like what each color was but to be honest the the easier way you can do this and the way that will also give you more room on your (laughs) playmat importantly (laughs) is the way that you do it um where maybe i go to the next level here but i actually i I lay them all out in in a line like a sort of long horizontal Mm. line along the bottom of the playmat but i order them by the colors that they produce yes and so i have all the colorless lands on the left and then it goes you know white blue multicolored, and it goes from left to right and so if you just tap your lands from like do your turn and you just tap them from left to right you will always end up with your multicolored sources the being end, the nice. last ones at the end. Nice. Um, this is like next level yeah. <laughs> anal stuff. But if, if there's one thing I can I can tell you to do, it's to not do the thing that I think I see a lot of players do, which is just have their lands just sort of haphazardly Anywhere. all over the place, like any any order, any whatever. Okay, I'm gonna go one step further here. Are sure. you the type of player that puts their mana rocks, the artifacts, in that line of lands? <laughs> Because I am an avid no, because they're a non-land permanent, and that's an important title in the game. I separ- I have, like, my lands, yeah, at the bottom of the playmat in a row, mm-hmm. in, a, like, a horizontal line, and then I have above that other mana sources from, like, enchantments or artifacts or mm-hmm. something like that. I hate it when people mix them up, because then if someone does, like, a Overlight Cyclonic Rift and all non-land permanents go to hand, mm-hmm. the amount of times I've caught people out by being, like, Hey, we Cyclonic Rifted two turns ago, and you've got a Soul Ring in your lands. Yeah. I'm like, that's an online permanent. That should be back in your hand. Yes. No, I I definitely used to be someone who put my Mana Rocks all in with the with the lands. Yeah. And then it was realizing, basically by playing against other people who did the same thing. Yeah. Where, yeah, I would cast spells, and I'd cast, like, I'd cast, like, Reclamation Sage. You know, enter the battlefield, destroy an artifact or an enchantment. And I'd look around the, the, the board... And be like, oh, there's no artifact or enchantment. Okay, I won't do anything. Because it's a May trigger. So I was yeah. just like, okay, I won't, I won't blow up anything. Um, and then, yeah, like a couple of turns later, you realize that someone... There's a Racto Signet over there. Yeah, there's a yeah. Signet in that, in that mana base. And you're kind of like, oh, it is important to keep them separate. Um, I actually... 
Again, next level stuff. I have that line of lands on yep. the bottom in the order that I've, I've outlined. I have the mana rocks just above them, which I think a lot of people do. But I also order in them the same in order? the same order. Wow, the colors, you know, the soul rings on the left, the mind stones on the left. The more Arcane episodes we on do, the, right. the more episodes we do, the less surprising it is that you're a spike. <laughs> Since that episode, I, I think it was like episode three or four episode that we did that. Three, I think. Yeah, and it's 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 becoming more and more prevalent. It's uh, probably one of my favorite episodes. If you've not listened to our playstyles episode yet, go back. And listen to it. I think it's got the most the most listens of any of the ones. It was definitely the most spoken about at our store in the community. Yeah. People were really excited to it's talk true. about. It's true. It's funny what, what what captures people's attention. But yeah, uh, anyway, that's that's uh, one thing you can do. Yeah, and, and that is definitely going to help you in the in the way you tap your lands. But there is another really important thing to think about with lands. It's when you play it on your turn, because right. there's I, I'm not sure if you've seen have you like you've watched pro tour magic and like st- like you know people at high levels playing magic yeah uh i don't think i've watched a lot of like pro tour stuff but i've definitely watched pros stream magic on yeah. twitch so yeah similar yeah thing. so and and like when pro players play there's something that i immediately identified that's different for how us casual commander players play mm. is the way their turn usually goes is this it's untap upkeep draw right go to combat they mm. completely skip their first main phase, and that's because they don't even play a land on their first main phase. This I is know. the thing. They will wait until they have the most amount of information mm. to play their land. Well, you can also... Yeah, I, I've definitely noticed that pros do this, and that there's a particular reason, I think, behind some of it, which is... Um, it's, it's about concealing information. It's also kind of faking people out. Because I've oh, definitely yeah. noticed the same thing where they often will not play the land in the first main phase and they'll often play it in the second main phase. And if they're going to draw cards, they often play the land after they draw cards, which just like... It's one tiny detail. But it just so subtly tells your opponent that maybe you don't have any lands until you drew your cards. Oh, wow. That's really high level bluffing. That's so deep. It's like, because then they're they're kind of like, oh, they're fishing for lands. They probably don't have any more. And like, if you, let's say you're flooded, right? Let's say you have five lands in your hand and one non-land spell, right? If you untap, upkeep, draw, and you just drop a land straight away, people are like, oh. There's got a land, handful of lands. There's a few lands in that hand, right? If you untap, upkeep, draw, go to combat, main phase two, draw some cards, then play your land. People are kind of like, oh. He's considered his options here. Yeah. There's there's some other stuff in that hand. Like just, it's the tiniest thing. Man, that is But it just sends a little signal, you know, to your opponent. It's really funny because we did an episode on communicating and Mm. how like communicating is like a really powerful thing, Commander. And we we very briefly spoke about things that you don't say often speak louder than words. These kind of game actions Ah, one of those. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's it's conveying as much as what you're saying is, I think, definitely. And also, like, when you said about, like, drawing cards, if you, let's say, for example, you got a, it's like late game in Commander, and you've got, like, nine lands on the field already, but you've got three basics in your hand. If instead of untap, upkeep, draw, play land, if you're going to draw cards on your turn, you might untap, upkeep, draw, go to combat, deal damage, that triggers something, you draw a card, you might hit Mystic Sanctuary. Play that put spell on top draw another card draw a spell that's that's way better than playing a planes and this is definitely it's similar to what i was saying before where you'll notice when you do this wrong 
because you will do what I think a lot of new players do. You'll untap, upkeep, draw, play your play land, land, right? Straight away. A lot of new players do that. And then they do their whole turn. They draw a whole bunch of cards. And then they're like, oh, I'm going to play this land. And they play it. And then someone else at the table says, you've already played a land. Actually, you've already played a land <laughs> this, this turn. I still do that, though. I, I do as well. I'm, sure. I'm the type of person that goes, right. And I'm I now, now that I've played CEDH a little bit, I am starting to go to combat and do things on my second main phase mm. and conceal information, do all that kind of stuff. But when I'm playing casually, I kind of forget that there's actually real in-game benefits of doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes when I'm playing casually, I'll be talking and playing lands and doing this kind of stuff and mm. then forget that the order that I'm doing this in is actually really important. Yeah, I mean, Mystic Sanctuary is a great example. Mm. Like, if you... Yeah, if you wait and then draw the cards and then you get to play that Mystic Sanctuary, that's the difference between your next card being a mystery and your next card being the best instant or sorcery in your graveyard. Yeah. Right? Especially late in the game, I think a Mystic Sanctuary can often be backbreaking for your opponents. Like, if you get to put your Wrath, your your board wipe, or back on top of your library... thing from Zaxara or Yeah, an like X spell, your targeted removal. Like, you have so much control over your destiny yeah. if you get to play that Mystic Sanctuary at the right time. But, yeah, if you're doing the untap, upkeep, draw, play land thing, yeah. you're going to miss it. You're going to have times where you'll draw that Mystic Sanctuary and go, man, I wish I'd had If waited. I just waited that little bit. And, yeah. like, you know, even thinking about, like, you know, you might cast, like, a Reckless Impulse... And that says you can play lands from... So, you Reckless Impulse is you exile the top two cards from your library, you can play them this turn. Oh, so, oh I think that's until the end of your next turn. Until the end of your yeah, next turn. Yeah, one and a red sorcery, I think. So, yeah, for yeah. example, if you've got lands in exile from one of those impulse draw type effects, mm. play those lands because they're going to go away. Keep the lands in your hand. Yeah. So, that way you can keep hitting land drops. Yeah, for sure. I think it's uh, something people forget about the way that like the cards that you draw because often when you exile cards from the top of your library and you can play them it feels like drawing cards even on like if, when you look at arena it literally is right next to your hand the way it they is. lay it out on it's arena true. it's like it, it's right there it, looks it, like it implies that it's something yeah. you have access to right but the thing is yeah almost all of those cards that do that have a timing restriction on them but yeah. the cards in your hand don't have a timing restriction on them. No. So, if yeah, you should always be playing your lands from exile before you play the ones in your hand, right? And I did just also think as well, like, sometimes the order in which you do things also includes the order in which you don't do things as well. Right. Bear with me here. For example, if you're playing someone... If, if you're playing a mono black deck and they've got a lot of discard effects in their, in, their, uh, in their deck and you've seen it before, if you draw, like, a land, but you've already got a huge mana base you're already set up, maybe just don't play that land. That way you can discard it. Yeah. So when they say, all right, all players discard a land, you go, right, pitch of planes, done. It's totally. The order in which you do things and the order in which you don't do things yeah. can be a huge Im- influence. That's for, that's that's definitely true. I've, I've definitely had games where cards like um, like Frantic Search, yeah. you know, two and a blue. I love that card. It's, it's an awesome card. If you play it right, you can generate mana with a bounce land. You can, you can go mana oh, positive on that there's card. There's a million ways to break that card, and that's why I love it so yeah. much. But you, you basically, it's two and a blue, you draw two cards, discard two cards, untap up three lands, yeah. right? But the, the, the key thing I'm talking about here is that you are drawing two, two cards and then discarding two cards. So mm-hmm. you end up with, I mean, it's technically card disadvantage, right? Because you, you play the frantic spell. search. So you end up with one less thing. But the, the important thing is you're not really gaining a number of cards in your hand, right? You're, no. you're actually losing one. And so the important thing you can do, if you do have like a million lands and you have your frantic search, if you keep your land in your hand, 
that's one more card that you get to choose from when you're discarding after you resolve so it, right? So before you cast the Frantic... Or, so before you cast the Frantic Surge and you're thinking about playing that land, take a second, think yeah. about it. Do you want to instead discard a really good card or yeah. do you want to discard that land? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Because most of the time, especially if you've got... Like, it's late game, you've got a million lands already. I, mm. I seriously think a lot of the time people over-prioritize lands after, like, turn seven or eight. Like, once you've got, like, ten mana... You're doing three turn... things on your turn. You're yeah. doing plenty. You're like... doing heaps. Like... Especially if you have the choice between a spell you can cast and a land. I'd rather take a spell, like, any For day of the sure. week. right? Yeah. When was the last time you did the Timmy thing of raising your arm above the table and slamming a land onto the table? <laughs> That's not exciting. <laughs> no. But, like, this is the thing. Like, we've spent, like, yeah, 15 minutes now talking about the tapping lands and playing them in a certain order. It is a really boring conversation, but... It is genuinely going to up your skill level from like that low level playing commander mm. casually to really thinking about the sequence of your plays and yeah. having the right mana at the right time mm. and being able to do everything to the maximum ability on your turn. And that's the most fun thing, right? Like it's something yeah. I hear. Um, I hear Josh on uh, the command zone say all the time is like people sort of ask, "Oh, why do you guys play so much ramp? Why do you play so much card draw?" And it's like because it's fun to have access to. Lots of options. Yeah. Like, it, it's... Gen- it's Yes, there's a certain amount of it that's about the fact that they have an entertaining show that they put on. Correct. Right? It's and like, they need the stuff to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's always better to have stuff to do. But I'm sure that through building decks in that way, they were kind of like, oh, actually, it's just more fun to have more options, right? And, and so, also, like, it, it's so much better to have, like, the ability to do more stuff than to do, like, one thing that doesn't really affect the game. Yes. And then run out of oomph, you yeah. know? Yeah. And so, yeah, like these small things like the lands tapping and everything it seems really dry but you know you want to play your spells you want to play your deck you want to see how your deck runs and so like this is going to increase the consistency of of doing that one thousand percent yeah shall we throw this page let's throw this page lands we've oh my god oh oh i apologize that just very gently grazed my forehead hit your head and then just caressed your face down (laughs) very slowly the paper does now before we move on from lands Mm -hmm. there's one final thing that i wanted to talk about because i think it seems so obvious but some players don't do it because they get like happy and excited tap lands yes yeah how well how do you play tap lands it's look it's the kind of thing where early game i think it's almost always right to play the tap land even if sometimes it means not playing a spell on that turn because it's it unlocks more mana on your subsequent turns right like if you've got a your opening hand and you've got the two lands right Mm -hmm. one of them enters taps taps for two of your colors one of them's a forest, yeah. for, for instance, right? Let, let's let's say, for example, it's my it's my Reese the Redeemed deck, right? It's a Selesnia deck. Um, it's green and white. Those are the two colors that I have. I've got a tap land that has a green and white. Mm-hmm. I've got a forest. It is so tempting to, on turn one, play that forest and play Reese, Get reset, right? Yeah. Get reset. I, I mean, turn early. one commander is pretty nice. I yeah. love a turn one commander. Right? It's, good. Oh, it feels so good. Yeah. You feel so, you know, like you're living your best life or whatever. <laughs> I'm never saying that sentence ever again. Um, anyway. But- yes, queen. <laughs> Get that Reese turn one. Yes. <laughs> Me and James were at a, at a very queer party yesterday. Uh, I'm literally sat here wearing the most flamboyantly tie-dyed rainbow get-up. Oh, it, my God. I can't wait to wear this to the store, actually. Oh, uh, you I'm, should. I'm going to wear this. I feel very underdressed yeah. by comparison. Anyway, okay, we're playing Reese, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's so tempting to do that. But the thing is, if I don't draw another land... 
on turn one, I will have had one mana. On two, I'm also going to have one mana, Correct. right? Because I've yeah. got tap lands going to come in. All I have is that forest. Yeah. And let's like reverse this for a second, right? Let's say that turn one, I play that tap land. Turn mm-hmm. two, I play my forest. And let's say that in the time, you know, in those two turns, I drew a one mana spell. Let's say um, Lanoir Elves. Now you can play Reese and Lanoir Elves. Yes, yeah. right? So Huge. on, I, thought, I guess... Oh my god, I've talked myself into a corner. Because in this scenario, you can still play Lanoir Elves on turn two. But you can't do both of them. So if you if the only two lands in your hand were the forest and the tap land, and you play the forest first, cast Reese, then you play the... Oh, you could do that. Yeah. You, you still that, end up with... You still end up with funny. that. But I see what you're saying, because like if you think about the mana curve being on turn one, mm. you have one mana. On turn two, you have two mana. Yeah. Three, so, so on and so yes, forth. Yes, If you true. think about the importance of the type of spells you're casting at those mana curves, yeah. you have to be able to think... What it, And also, this is another huge thing. Think about the way your deck plays out. And this is, again, what we, we you know refer to as spiky as hell, mm. is thinking about the curve of your deck and how it plays out. Because in your deck, you know that you're going to want five mana by turn four to do these two things, or mm. this one five mana thing. But if you hold that tap land and don't play it until turn four, you're actually only going to have four mana on turn four. Yes, you know, like exactly. So yeah. like you can ramp on turn two with a rampant growth, something like that. But yeah. then if you play that tap land, it's still tapped and you can't yeah. use it. So why didn't you play that tap land first? Ramp on turn two with the tap land, then get and then you're yeah. on path. Well, rampant growth is a really good example because let's let's go back to that same scenario, right? Mm-hmm. So we know that we have access to Reese the Lanawar Elves, and the Rampant Growth. Yeah. Let's say that we do the, the you know, in my opinion, correct thing. Right? Play we play Tapland first. Tap land first. Yep. Turn two, yes, we can play Lanawar Elves and Reese, but in this scenario, we could play Rampant Growth as well. Which is much better. Yes, yep. we have access to a two-mana play. On and... turn two, which is on curve. Yeah, it's, yeah. exactly. And so, like, yeah, we'd, we could end up with the same things by playing two spells, but generally you want to be playing... The spell that costs more. Not not always, but like, you know, turn two, it's usually better to play one, two drop rather than two, one drops. And now let's think about the following turn on turn three. If you've got another land, you play another land. Let's say it's untapped. You now have four mana turn three. You can cast Lanoir Elves, Reese, and you still have two mana to do yeah. something else with. So you could exactly maybe get right. an Arcane Signet out as well. Yeah. And that's so much better than going turn one, Reese, turn two, Lanoir Elves, turn three, only got three mana. Yes. So that the difference between playing the way we just played and that way is the difference between two spells and two more mana. Yeah. It's it, it adds up. And it so, adds up. Yeah. Again, it's, they're small things, but yeah, you will notice if you. I think this is actually a case where if you do the right things, you will notice that you end up with more mana. Like, look, I've only been playing Magic for a little while, and and both of us kind of have been, really. It's been a couple of years now, but, Mm. like, in the history of the game, it's kind of a blip, We're babies. We should not have a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. But in that time, we've played a lot of Commander, right? Yeah. Um, But, yeah, it's the kind of thing where I've I've noticed recently, and, look, I fine-tune my decks a lot, which helps as well, but I'm starting to see these lines of play, and I can tell you, like, you will unlock more options to cast on your turn you will have like more explosive turns later in the game like they're small things but it will make a difference and you'll have more fun in the games that you play yeah sure Sure. i really like the discussion we just had about ramp and growth can we talk a little bit more because like lands is a good segue into ramp i think we should talk a little bit because like ramp and mana and like i think sequencing this you know we've been talking for nearly half an hour now Mm. and we've just talked about sequencing your mana like that is that is such an important thing Mm. so like with ramp obviously the same applies for the advice that we gave before about lands obviously filter ramp like signets 
tap those first. Yes. Because if you tap out and you've just got a signet left, I'm not sure if you noticed, but the actual rules text is one and tap it and it gives you two colors. Yes. It does nothing on its own. No, it doesn't. It doesn't unless you've got one of those bloody lands. Oh, you've got Urza out. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh my God, we broke Urza. Urza. (laughs) We broke Urza. It it allows Signets to tap for blue. Wow, that's wild. We've we've just made the best podcast episode ever. What a revelation. But yes, and actually I'm going to throw back to the start of the episode and say that the reason behind this whole episode's conception is that I watched somebody tap uh everything but their filter land oh, no. on two turns in a row and, they just and both times yeah both times i saw them go to cast something see it was a filter land and like you said if you don't have a mana to filter into that it doesn't does tap nothing. for anything and went pass and i felt oh, so rough. bad that's every rough. time but it's the kind of thing that you've got to you know you got to have that, that player, though, was that i i'm I, you don't have to name them obviously but mm. it, new player Fairly new. Fa- that's the the fact that they didn't ask to revert it and have already taken my advice in in advance <laughs> of living with that mistake, mistake. That yeah. is great. I, I genuinely true. think if you're if you're at casual tables and you're allowing people to reverse their plays, mm. try stop doing that because it will make you a better player. Yeah, 100%. yeah, I agree. And look, while we're on signets, mm-hmm. I think it's worth considering the fact that with certain kinds of ramp and signets are, are one of these. Mm. Um. There's certain ramp spells that you can you can use the turn they that you ramp, right? Oh, like like an arcane signet, for example. So yeah. it costs two, but it comes down and can immediately tap for a color. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Gotcha. And so the thing that can happen, like we we just did a whole lot of talking about your curve and like how mm. much and all the spells. Oh, cost. I see what you're going with. Yeah, there, right. Yeah. You, you can lose track of the fact that you actually unlock a mana when you cast some of these spells, mm. right? And so, yeah, like, Arcane Signet costs two. You need to have that two mana to cast that Signet in the first place. But if you have subsequent things you want to cast, you have one more mana on that turn oh, that's nice. than you did before. And so I, I kind of do a little weird arithmetic in my head where I subtract one from the mana value of one of those spells when I cast it. When I'm trying to calculate it in my hand, right? If, I, if I'm going, so arcane like, signet in your head says it costs one mana. Yes, right. Okay, on that, that turn, that right? makes a lot of sense because, like, and you think about, like, okay, in 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 that subsequent thought process, soul ring is plus one. Yes, it, it, it's it literally is. negative one mana. And it's like, look, I I always <laughs> cast soul ring. <laughs> if soul ring's in my hand. I'm like. You accelerate a mana. They're, Did okay, you ever not do it? In terms of sequencing, Sol Ring, ignore these rules. <laughs> Just put it on the battlefield. It's a good, like, it's broken. Yeah. If, if you shouldn't do the untap, upkeep, draw, play land thing, instead you should do the untap, untap, untap upkeep, upkeep, draw, up, draw cast, cast Sol Ring. Ring. <laughs> and like, That's the advice. But also, this actually goes into a play, right? If you've, I know this is super, super obvious and, and is no one in this podcast is going to listen to this next piece of advice and go, I've never thought about that before. But like on turn one, if you've got a soul ring, you can go turn one land. And realistically, if, if you've got a tap land or an untap land, maybe it's best to go soul ring turn one because then you can go soul ring, signet, and then untap on turn two with four mana. Five if you hit your land five, drop, I think. Yeah. yeah, five if you hit a land drop. But if you've got that tap tap land you can play that but you've still got four mana do you see what i'm saying yeah totally now there's a whole other conversation there about having do you turn one soul ring signet pass because you immediately become the threat you've you've said to me before i've definitely heard you specifically say that if you have a soul ring you will not play it turn one i so that you don't look like correct i now i am i mean everyone loves turn one soul rings but the second you do it 
I mean, our store, the, the pointy finger and threat thing has become a ubiquitous joke in our store. Yeah. I, I think am, it's pretty common. It's pretty common right? around the world. I'm, yeah. I'm sure of it. If there's another word that is used, I'm so curious. Comment in the comment section if there's another word for threat player that's used around the world. But like, that isn't James. That is, <laughs> James sits down a table. <laughs> James. <laughs> but like, I now actively don't play Sol Ring on turn one because mm. of that effect. But if I can see a line where I'm going to have five, four, five mana available to me on turn two. I will do it because mm. then I can kind of back up that threat. Because sometimes you, you go Sol Ring Signet pass, turn turn two comes around, you've got four or five mana and you're like, pass. <laughs> like, I've got nothing in my hand now. <laughs> I've ramped out. I just like on the record that James did a little like coy shrug when he said pass. He was like, pass. pass. <laughs> I love how you managed to encapsulate a body movement with an accent with like a tone. <laughs> pass. Pass. Nice. Yeah, well, look, Sol Ring breaks all the rules. But, yes. but in terms of, you know, there, there is going to be those mana rocks that give you more mana, like yeah. Sol Ring, um, but yeah, like Arcane Signet. And there's also, there's ramp spells that do this, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, Harrow. Harrow, 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 yeah. Harrow screws my brain. I'm not going to lie. When I try and do the maths, because it's like, it costs three, but you sack a land. So you go one down. But you get two more. So you, you go one up. Right? Uh, you go one. Hold on. You yeah. pay. No, no. You, the turn you, in, in total, you've ramped one, right? Because you've lost one land and gotten two. But, but they come in untapped. Yes. So, but like in terms of like the grand scheme of things, you've ramped ahead by one. But on, on the turn that you play it, it costs one. For the record, Walt and I are now both like looking into the distance doing mental arithmetic. <laughs> <laughs> trying to mathematically work out if Harrow accelerates you on the turn it comes down. It definitely it does. does. It does. Because yeah, you, you, you pay three and you get two on that turn. So like it costs one. If you have the three mana, it costs you one. So right? it's basically like an arcade. So you take like like your mental arithmetic you do for soul, uh, Arcane Signet being one mana instead of two. Yeah. Harrow is basically one green. Yeah. Yeah, That's pretty much. Good. And yeah. also, like, it, it, it can fix colours. Harrow's oh, sick. Harrow's a great card. Play Harrow. <laughs> yeah, Harrow, yeah. If we, if our la- last episode, we recommended a lot of cards. If mm. this episode gets you one, Harrow's great. Yeah, I think, I look, I think in general, there's a few spells I'd play first, and I'm probably going to mention one in a second, but I think if you have any synergy with the fact that you're sacrificing a land to do that, like, if you have um, Ramunab Excavator in your oh, deck, Crystal so of Worlds. If you're playing any kind of mill strat where you care about the number of cards in your bin. Playing flashback stuff. Or yeah, that, like yeah. anything. Oh, um, Splendid Reclamation returns all your lands Mwah, to the that. battlefield tapped. Yeah. I like, have, I, by the way, I recently in my Firelift deck, Splendid Reclamation's now in it. I yeah. finally got one. Cool. Best play ever. You know Zuranorb? Do you know that card? No. It's a zero. Oh, you sack a land to gain two life? I tapped out, tapped out, floated the mana. Sacked all of them to Zeranorb, gained like, and it's fire life. I gained like 10, 15, 20 life, something ridiculous. And then it was like, right, with the floating mana, splendid reclamation. <laughs> Landfall triggers me! <laughs> <laughs> that's nuts! Oh, that's good... disgusting. Um, speaking of, though, I did say I, I would mention a spell mm. that I rate slightly higher than Harrow um, in general, in an isolation of sure. being meal or whatever. Um, Sky Shroud Claim. Oh, great card. Yeah, right. Yeah. Three and a green, sorcery, social library for two forest cards, put them on the battlefield. Shut the up. fact that it, like, it's it's explosive vegetation, but better. If but you know better it, in so many because ways. Because it's type. That forest yes, typing can, is So huge. you can fix your mana super well, yeah. and also, unless the land enters tapped specifically, like if it says on the mm. land, it enters tapped, you can just get two basic forests. Skyshred Claim is nuts. It's crazy good. And yeah, it, similar to Harrow, I would call Skyshred Claim... One on the green? Well... 
if you're getting to untapped land. Are, so this is, this is where it gets kind of iffy and you've got to do some like real planning ahead. Like, do I need un- uh, dual lands or do I want... Oh, you are such a spike. <laughs> I would love to sit in your head while you're literally going on turn four. Everyone's laughing and playing signets and noise. And then inside Walt's brain is... <laughs> What if I subtract two from this mana value <laughs> so I can make sure that I play? It's like, you know, in anime where they like zoom in on the eyes and the yeah. voiceover happens. I'm going to do an edit of you playing Magic with like anime voiceover. Oh <laughs> like, my God. I feel like people who played against me before, especially people who played me a lot of times, will know that like the first few turns, I'm like laughing, I'm jovial, I'm like casting spells and throwing everything down because I know exactly what I'm going to do. It gets to like, it's always either turn four or turn five. And, oh, right. and Walt's like laughing, ha ha ha. Wait. And then <laughs> in I, the just, tank. I sit there and I stare at my cards for like five minutes trying to work out what to do. I just realized our um our community committee, yes. we have a Facebook group chat. We call it our super friends group chat. It's yeah. just the way we keep up to date with everything and keep oh, on top. I, know you I just realized that our picture of the, the group chat picture yeah. is you in the tank. It is, it is you thinking really <laughs> hard. I forgot about that. It's the kind of thing you know how like certain images they just become like background to you like because you me, see them every day yeah, yeah so that's yeah, just like yeah. the super friends chat logo i forgot that i'm in that <laughs> like, that's, that's a face. photo of me oh my god oh that's funny uh, i think one last thing with like ram before we move on sure rituals oh yeah it's a really interesting thing about ram i feel like because sorry I'm, I'm gonna stop you right yeah. there i feel like we should explain what rituals are because we do have some newer listeners great point do you want to uh, define a ritual sure um a ritual is a spell that usually doesn't really get you lands it produces more mana than what you paid correct uh, well do- doesn't always like some of them have you know caveats yeah. like songs of the damned is a black for an instant you add a black to your mana pool for each creature card in your graveyard yeah. right so it doesn't always add more mana than it makes but it you often does right? and another great example like because I, I i'm referencing rituals here because i play a lot of is it and is it mm. love ritual There's spells the because it allows ones, you yeah. to pop off really quick a really great one that's become really popularized is jessica's will um, oh yeah of course phenomenal yeah. ritual it's two two and a red yeah and if you control your commander you can choose both modes if you don't choose one the first mode is exile the top three cards of your library you can play them this turn yeah the next one is add red mana for each card in target opponent's hand yeah now if you're not familiar with how the mana pool works basically if you add mana to your mana pool that mana isn't going anywhere it stays there until you move phases yeah so if you tap a land it's not like you're ta- saying you're about to cast a spell you're just adding mana to that pool i always imagine it like i have a little this is genuinely this is how i processed it when i was learning it i imagined i had a little bowl in my lap under the table and when i got mana i put little tokens in that bowl of how much mana i had oh. and then when i needed to cast a spell i I'd look at the cost and go, right, I need two blue pips and one white pip. Oh. And I'd get it out of my little bowl on my lap. Oh, that's a really good way of conceptualizing that. I, yeah. And I, now I've actually used it to explain it to players and it does help. So if you're, right. if you're wondering what mana pool is, that's how to do it. So for yeah. example, when you cast Jessica's Will and you get seven red, let's say someone's got seven cards in your hand. Imagine you've got seven red mana tokens in your little p- bowl on your lap. right? Yeah. Yeah. And now you can do more things. Because let's say it's turn three. You cast that. Now you've got seven red on turn three by paying three. That mm. is huge. So now yep. you can cast like two, three things. Yes. I think the other thing to think about with these rituals, specifically ones that only add one color, this is a huge thing. And and when it's at CDH, Jessica's Will is such a common card at CDH. And in red-blue decks, it's such a thing. 
because you want to make sure you use red sources or colorless sources to cast Jeska's Will or the Mana Geyser or whatever the ritual is. Right. So that way you have access to blue so you can cast other spells that maybe right. have blue in the cost or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It, it sort of just makes sense, right? Like yeah. if, you, if you're going to be spending your, you know, your red red stuff from your pool yeah. to get more red. If you're going to spend anything from your pool to get more red... But you also are going to need blue at some point. You should spend your red, right? Because you're going to end up with more red. Yeah, that yeah. totally makes sense. And so the same would apply. There's a few of those. I mean, I mentioned a black one, Songs of the Damned. Dark Ritual's the same thing. Dark Ritual's I mean, just love Dark Ritual. Dark Ritual's never going to... You're never going to have that problem because you have to play it black to get three black. But <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> yes, but yes, um, Mana Geyser is definitely one I've seen people yep. do wrong. Where pe I've seen people, yeah, tap their, in that case, blue sources, yep. um, you know, to pay the, the three generic mana and then they pay red, red, and then they're kind of like, you know, oh man, I've got 20 red. But, but no got, blue. They've got and no need, blue. I've got one card in my hand that needs one blue pip and I didn't yeah, yeah. And like, oh, my signet's untapped. Use the signet to filter into it like do that yeah yeah wow this is sure. i did not i genuinely saw the I, when i was i was sat at home and obviously we get the space command in advance we mm. get we get an email spoiler alert we we actually do talk to the space commanders before the episode we get to plan it a little bit i know it's breaking the the law of the podcast here <laughs> but when i was thinking about this i was like this isn't really a big episode but we've been speaking for like 40 minutes on mana sequencing that's huge yeah yeah i mean look and I think it's worth saying that it wasn't, they didn't just tell us to talk about mana. Like, the, mm. it's this important that we can talk for this long, but they said the order in which you make game actions is important. And so, yes, like making mana, casting spells that give you mana, that's a game Random. action. Yep. But, you know, the rest of our deck is also game action. So I think we should talk about... Probably talk about spells now, right? Yeah, like, like the, actual the things, things that we, we do, do yeah. with the mana in our little bowl <laughs> under the table. Yeah. All right, let's, let's talk about <laughs> sequencing spells. And sure. I think that the... The most optimal way to think about, it, like, if you were to try and conceptualize this whole, the next 20 minutes of this conversation, it's cast spells in the order that's going to enhance your next play or your deck to its maximum. Mm. That's the order you should do things in. For sure. I think it's the kind of thing, it's a little hard for people who are new to identify which cards do it. it mm. It'll often take, like, if you just bought a pre-con, for instance... It'll take you playing it a few times before you realize that there's probably a spell or two that when that is on the battlefield, the rest of your deck works better, it's right? It's like the, the nitrous oxide in your engine just... Yeah, really exactly. Like, you know, I, I've got my my Reese deck, actually. Yep. Um, wow, is, a deck that's been referenced a lot this episode. It, is, <laughs> it often yeah. happens like this, yeah. right? It's, yeah, it's just how it tends to go. Oh, by the way, Cars are Wizards, way. we haven't mentioned oh it yet. God. Just wanted to throw it in there so it's in the podcast episode. I specifically tried to not talk about Cars <laughs> yes. and you made you found <laughs> your way to reference my one is it I don't even have a way to reference it. Just tap Cars first before you cast the spell there we go it's sequencing <laughs> um, i've managed to get it in this episode <laughs> sequencing use your commander yeah <laughs> nice great good stuff no in my reese deck yeah. though right i have a lot of um a lot of elves actually are in the deck it's not an elf tribal deck but there's a lot of like i've got lanoir elves in there yeah i've got um lanoir visionary i've got um elvish mystic like a lot of those really small creatures that yep. do stuff in my deck um and if i'm looking at my hand and I'm trying to work out which of these creatures to cast first. And I see Beast Whisperer. Oh, I love that card because I, I have an elf deck as well. You do. So you know the feeling yeah. of casting Beast Whisperer. For those who don't know, two green green. Uh, it's an elf itself. I think it's a 3-3 three, three or 2-2 two, two or something. Elf Druid. Elf Druid. That sounds about right. Yeah, uh, it doesn't matter what the rest of it <laughs> says, basically. Because it says on it, whenever you cast a creature spell, draw a card. And 
let like you if you're attuned to that line of text now you understand why Walt's referenced all these tiny little creatures yes because if you have your you know eight mana on turn five or whatever and you cast beast whisperer with four and then you cast three creatures every single one of those creatures replaces itself in your hand with probably another creature yeah <laughs> so cast an elf so to draw enough i yeah. love those little loops that i get into with my elf deck of cast enough to draw enough yeah but like there's like even more importantly is thinking about like because yes that's value and that's enhancing your deck but yeah. thinking about the specific strategy of your deck yes. and the order in which you do stuff yeah because like mine was a creature deck but like your deck might be doing something different correct completely different so like I- i'm thinking about like for example your um rada deck is a land deck and it really cares about how many lands are on the battlefield. Yes. Because Rada... Rada Heart of Keld. Yes, yeah, Rada yeah. Heart of Keld. So it, it, it basically Rada has an activated ability where you activate it and she gets plus X where X is the number of lands you control. Yeah, Something yeah, along those lines. Four green red is what you pay and then you get... Yeah, yeah she gets buffed usually a lot. <laughs> now the thing is, she is a three mana commander. It's one green and a red, right? Yeah, yeah. But you don't want to be casting that on turn three because you, want to, you would rather cast a Wayward Swordtooth or an Azusa... That allows you to play out more lands. It's the order in which you do things that really matters here. Because if you get yeah. your commander out in turn three, great. You don't have enough money. Uh, man, money. You don't have enough, uh, your, enough your mana. Your mana is kind of your money. <laughs> yeah, you don't have enough mana to activate Rada yet. Why did you cast her? Yeah. And you do, like it's not enhancing your deck yet. But if you play an Azusa, that's accelerating your deck because you can play yeah. more lands and it's getting the wheels turning. For sure. I, I think it's um it's worth considering what role your commander plays in your deck. If you're t- talking specifically about the order of doing things as it relates to your commander yeah um it's gonna vary a lot there's there's certain commanders that you're gonna want to play as soon as you possibly can because Mm. once the commander's on board everything else becomes better but there's also going to be other commanders that you want to play kind of last and Mm. i i heard um again josh or josh and jimmy on the command zone were talking about this and um they talked about how some commanders are uh, your enhancers, right? They're the ones that enhance your Make subsequent your deck things. Yeah. yeah, and some some commanders are your payoff, and so Rada is a payoff commander, yeah. right? Rada says, like, yes, yeah, get all your She's lands. The yeah, yeah. Rada says, like, do all your stuff, and then cast me and pump me, and I'll be huge and I'll kill someone. That's oh, yeah. like that's your strategy yeah. with your Rada deck, right? But my um my Tigam deck. Uh, Tigam makes the deck work because it's giving yeah, you spells rebound. It gives yeah. my spells rebound. So I like I have I think almost all my ramp in that deck is two mana ramp because it means that on turn three I have four mana and I can cast Tigam. Wow. You've gone a whole different level of sequencing. You are now talking about sequencing before you've even built the deck. Think about what order you want your ramp yes. to come out And in. look, I'm not going to lie and say that everyone is going to think about things on this level. And certainly yeah. if you're just starting, don't think, you know, this is the level that you need to be at right now. But that's like, like if you are an experienced deck builder, think about, like, what turn do you want your commander to come down? Yeah, is therefore, it the payoff? Is it the enhancer? Like, what therefore, does it do? think about it. And, yeah. I, and I want to talk about my Niv-Mizzet deck for the next half an hour, if that's okay. Um, <laughs> I'll talk about it very quickly. But I, I wanted to think about, like, because Niv-Mizzet is half of my win con in, in my command zone. Yeah. But it is also an enhancer. It, it is this weird blend of both because every single instant or sorcery player cast, I draw a card and ping a damage. Mm. Niv-Mizzet Perun is just a, an incredible card. So for me, sequencing when I play Niv-Mizzet is always a very calculated, thought-out thing mm. because there's so many things I need to consider. The first thing is 
is he going to be protected and stay on the field? Because he is a really tricky commander to cast. He yeah, is blue, three... blue, blue, red, 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 yeah. right? Yeah. So I really hate a, a game where I have to cast Niv Mizzet at least twice. Like, if I have to cast him twice, I'm not having a good game. No. So I'm always going to be like, it is one and done. I want him to be out, and then I win in a couple of turns right. or win on that turn. So this so... decision is going to be really important of when am I going to cast exactly. him. Exactly. And that there are so many things that fall into that, that equation, which is... Do I have protection in my hand? Can I back up Niv Mizzet if I need to? Right. So maybe if right now it's no, maybe I wait to cast Niv Mizzet, get a couple of counter spells in my hand from the next couple of turns, then cast Niv Mizzet. Sure. There's other things as well is like, if I cast Niv Mizzet this turn, but I don't have enough mana to combo off, should I wait until next turn so then I can play an additional land to cast Curiosity on the same turn? Right. There's all these like specific little things to consider. But sure. sometimes it'll be like, right, it's really early. I started I started with a four-card hand because I had to mull down to four. And now I've gone and accelerated out with Fast Mana and I need more cards in my hand. Niv-Mizzet is a great card draw engine. Let me get Niv-Mizzet mm. out so I can just draw cards. Right. So it's like, I've, I find this conversation, because like, yeah, we can talk about like Brutaclad, for example. He's the key to my Brutaclad deck. Mm. That token copying thing, my deck doesn't do much without Brutaclad on field. Yeah. So it's important for me to get him down as soon as possible. Sure. Other decks like, for example, um, Lanawar, uh, my Lanawar Elves deck, the ball, Elf Ball deck, Generally, it's a payoff. I don't want to put that down turn three because I don't have enough elves in the graveyard or on the battlefield to make the elf ball big. Yeah. So it's a payoff thing. It's like Rada, right? Yeah. So it's a lot of these different things. But Niv-Mizzet, for me, is one of these really weird in-the-middle commanders. Kind of does both, right? It, it does it's, everything. It's yeah. your win con. It enhances because it makes all your spells, draw yeah. your cards. It's removal. It's, it's removal. Yeah, God. That's, it's, and that this card's is, a monster. I remember it, playing it, against that a lot and it was just... <laughs> and I think and I think this is really important if you're thinking about your commander and, and specifically the strategy, not just of your commander, but of your deck. Mm. Think about when you want to be playing certain spells. Yeah. Because it is gonna change the the, the outcome of your game. Mm. And also the other thing that I that I will say as well is when we, while we're on this topic of try not to be greedy. Because sometimes mm. you can be greedy and empty your hand and you run it into a board wipe. Yeah. And now you've sequenced wrong because you didn't take into consideration what your opponents are about to do. Mm. That's like next level sequencing, yeah. for sure. I mean, I that, feel like that's almost... We can Another do a episode, whole episode, yeah, for, sure, for sure, on that. But, um, and we all, we kind of did, I guess, because we talked about mm. responding. Was We touched on that a lot. Yeah, we did. Thinking about what your opponents are doing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I think that's a, definitely a really good point, is, is what does your commander do for your deck? And, and also, yeah, like, when do I play the spell that makes everything, every subsequent thing better? Mm. Um, like, uh, in my Reese deck, it's also a flicker deck, actually. Yeah, it's and such a cool deck. It's yeah. <laughs> Tokens, flicker, tribal. It's like Walt Celestia wet dream. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's very me, it's for yeah. sure. Um, and probably, like, one of the best cards in the deck, because it's a flicker deck, so it's got a lot of enter the battlefield creatures, is Panharmonicon. Oh, yeah, huge. But I have definitely, before, made the mistake of, like, tapping out for Panharmonicon and not doing anything that turn. So for those who don't know, Panharmonicon, I'm not going to go into the text of the card. It basically doubles your ETBs. Not for everything, but in a flicker deck, everything that matters happens twice. It's if you like you build the card, the deck around the card. Yeah, yeah. basically. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's just like, it's just it's amazing. such a good enhancer. makes absolutely everything yeah. better that you do. But it does nothing on its own. So if you are on your turn tapping out for Panharmonicon, you've got nothing it, else. Uh, is it four mana? Four mana. Four, four mana, mana for yeah. Panharmonicon. It's an artifact. Um... 
and then you're passing around the table, someone's going to blow it up. Like, I'm sorry, but if people see Panharmonicon and they know you're playing a Flicker deck, they're like, right, that's the best card in that deck. I'm destroying it. And if that gets destroyed, you've got nothing out of it. You've paid four mana for nothing. That's like going for a run and forgetting to record it on your Apple Watch. (laughs) (laughs) Why did I even go? Endorphins? Fuck that. I don't don't need that. (laughs) (laughs) But like, and and other cards that like fall into that category, like Aetherflux Reservoir. Another yeah. one of those cards that, like, you really need to think about when you put that down because of how threatening it is, well, but how enhancing it is to your deck. It's interesting because it's kind of like Niv-Mizzet. Like, it's, it's, it, on its own, it's gaining you life. So if you're playing a life gain deck, it's doing its thing. Super cool. But it's also a win con, right? If you pay that 50 life, you can deal 50 damage to it's somebody. It's called a death star for a reason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's a really interesting one. I actually was playing a game the other day with, um, my Azord Lawbringer deck, um, which is like a very weird, like, it's a, it's a deck that cares about drawing cards and gaining life. It's Azorius. Um, anyway, it's it's a it's a weird deck, but one of the strategies is life game. Yeah. And in my hand, I had Angel of Vitality and Aetherflux Reservoir, and it took me a really long time to work out which one to do because Angel of Vitality um, has a couple of lines of text, but the main thing it does is if you would gain life, you gain one more instead, and then Aetherflux gains you life when you cast spells, and so I was like, do I? play Angel of Vitality first. So then... So then when I Aetherflux, like, my next spells will gain me more life. Or do I play Aetherflux first... To gain life off Angel of Off casting Angel of Vitality, but I won't gain more because... It's on the stack and it's not on the battlefield yet. Yeah. Oh, did you figure out the math? Did you do it? I mean, (laughs) to be honest, the the simple solution was that I didn't realize how much mana I had, and they were the only two spells I could cast. Oh, so it didn't really matter. No, it didn't matter, because the the, the scenarios were, okay, cast Angel of Vitality, cast Aetherflux Reservoir, gain no life. Nothing happens. Yeah, oh, so in that situation, <laughs> it is just objectively better to play Aetherflux first because you gain two life on the second yeah, spell. Exactly, yeah, exactly, up Angel of Vitality. But if I had a, a third spell, I think I probably would have gone... I think it's still right to cast Aetherflux, right? Because you want to be gaining life, even if you don't have a payoff. And because there's probably more. triggers on your battlefield as well that... Yeah, there could be. And, and also, like, just in general, you know, if you can gain life, you probably should. Yeah. So, yeah, I think usually it's best to cast the spell that does the thing... That enhances your deck. Yes. Although, it really depends. And you've really got to think about it. Like, it's complicated. There's not... Like, I just tried to apply a one-stop solution to that. And And we didn't get it. There's not really one. So you've got to think about, like, what are the benefits, what are the costs? It's the same complexity of the Niv-Miz problem of, like... And there's so many things to consider when you're looking at enhancers. and, And also, the other thing that I wanted to talk about here as well, in terms of when you cast certain spells is when you cast game-ending spells. We On our first episode... Ending the game, Ending right? the game. We yeah. discussed a couple of cards. We talked about, like, Overwhelming Stampede, Torment mm. of Hailfire. These, like, these spells that are, like, one and done. You, like, blow the smoke off the top of your gun and put it back in your holster because you've won the game. Yeah. I genuinely think some people get a bit trigger-happy with this stuff. And mm. one of my favorite examples of this, I know we reference this podcast a lot and this this game, but Game Nights is this fantastic episode with Game Nights where Jimmy doesn't think about get ending the game and the sequence in which he plays stuff. So he goes to combat first without doing something. And he's it's the episode with the bears. Do you remember uh, it? It's, the, it's featuring loading player run. Loading ready run. Loading ready run. Yeah. Um, yeah. To, Graham. To a, Graham. Graham. Well, it's Graham and also his partner, who unfortunately, his name I can't remember I right can't now. Remember but, but, um, she played, played a vampire deck. I remember that. 
I think it was Mono Black. It was great. It, it was played... really, it's probably one of my favorite Game Nights episodes. I think it's my favorite. I think because every deck does Pops amazing off. and it's so close because of this, yeah, this sequence. Where... Yeah, and it's basically, there's the, the, the whole play comes down to the fact that Jimmy forgets that he has given Graham a golden ticket, which if you're not familiar with the uh... concept in Commander, golden tickets are basically like, you saved my life. I'm still in this game because of you. I will allow you to make a a decision in the game for me because you've done that. So Jimmy goes through this whole process and he eliminates Josh and like goes and he's gone off and he's there. And now all he needs to do is swing at Graham and win. And Graham's like, I'm now going to cash in my golden ticket and make you not swing. And it's like, no, that like, and, and then he freaks out because he now realizes because like game actions, we spoke about communication in episode. That is a game action for sure. It's yeah. like, it's a mechanic. So he didn't take into consideration the fact that he, there was a, there was a piece of the game that was going to stop him winning if he did it in that order. And he gets to the end and he goes, oh, I can't go back. I can't, I can't do this. I can't do that. It I is think, really funny to watch. I think actually, funnily enough, you might have that order slightly wrong. Really? Potentially, I'm pretty sure you got it right that the um the going to combat is like the thing. The, the golden ticket, no, but the golden ticket, the way it's cashed in, is that Graham wants to kill Jimmy. They realize with the writing's the bear, on the wall with the bears, that's and it. Jimmy's like, "Oh, instead, I'm going to draw my library and, and kill myself." myself. And Graham says, with my golden ticket, I'm going to ask you to take no further actions on your turn so that I can kill you with my best. I remember that now, and that is so true. And honestly, I'm actually in the process of building Graham's Bear Force 1 oh, deck great. because I love that deck so much. Yeah. I've got Iola, I've got a bunch of stuff. I've got Four Bears Blade. Nice. I've got a lot of things for it. I'm really nice. excited. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Um, well, look, that's that's. Pretty much all we had to say, but I, I guess to, to touch on what we, we spoke about, you know, the improvements that we're going to make are going to be small, right? Yeah, they're, they're, they're small things we're going to do, but they often will be the difference between winning and losing. And as we mentioned earlier as well, it's sometimes going to be the difference between having fun and not having fun, right? Yeah. If you don't get to cast that spell you really want to cast, you might not have fun in that game. So it's worth thinking about the sequence of these things. This podcast is all about becoming a better player, but also having more fun at the at the commander table. And this episode, whilst yes, we did speak about tapping lands for 20 minutes and we apologize for you sitting through that. But I really, really hope you now realize that if you take that away and start applying it in the next couple of weeks, tell us, it, did that help your games? Because you're now mm. casting better spells and sequencing better. I'm really hoping that that has resulted in better games for you, more wins, and more fun. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping agree. for. Yeah. So, um, if we can throw back to you guys, question for the listeners. Is there a particular order that you use for certain parts of the game, uh, like we were talking about without tapping of lands? Uh, and can you think of a time recently that the order was really important of the uh, actions that you took? Mm. I'm really curious to hear from our community and I'd love to because we get a lot of um, uh, people come up to us in store and talk to us about our latest podcast episode sometimes people will be referencing a podcast episode that they just listened to but we recorded like a month or two ago oh my god and I completely forget what we're talking about I really want you guys chuck it in the comments on uh, either on the closed Facebook group in our community or if you're finding this on SoundCloud or on um, YouTube YouTube. yeah comment please comment we'd love to hear the feedback yeah definitely definitely and I think we actually I don't mind saying it now. We, we sort of on the horizon want to be talking. We want to do kind of a community questions yes. episode, actually. Not not really soon, but soon-ish. So, um, yeah, like we'll, we'll hop in the comments and we'll try and answer any mm. questions that you have. But if it's a really good one, we might 
put it in the podcast. Yeah. So, yeah, fire away, please. We're now getting to a really well-routined thing between Walt and I of, at, like, Sunday night is our podcast recording night. It's, yeah. it's getting to be a, a really good routine and a bit of a good tradition. So we're cranking out these episodes and we're coming up to 10. Yeah, and, and, and 10's going to be that community questions one. So yeah. start thinking now. Chuck questions in the comments. We we will save them. We will answer them in the comments and yeah, we, we will and, have an episode about yeah. it. Yeah, and if, you, if, you, if you're a bit like hesitant about putting it out in the public sphere you can message us directly as yeah well. that's totally yeah fine. and if you're in our community come up and have a chat with us which yeah. you all already do which we, we love yeah yeah now james uh it is tradition yes do you, do you have a play of the week i do have a play of the week Great. and this one is kind of i imagine most of our community will already know it because the amount of chaos and hilarity that ensued in store i actually think you were absent for this this I, day i missed the last is, uh last commander night yeah, at that little store which is really upsetting because it, yeah. the amount the people crowding around this table for this game was paramount to someone like i don't i can't even explain you know like out in the street and there's like a like a, a magic act that's happening and people get really invested and there's like this, this huge cr- crowd of people around the street performer sure that's what it looked like it was like wow. around this one pod of commander this huge crowd around and like everyone was laughing and hollering and i was actually in the in the pits of a very intense cdh game and i kept hearing james james come look at this james, james. and I, maybe it was because they wanted to be featured on the play of the week on the podcast <laughs> i don't know but it was like james james come look at this and we ended up being, i said to my table i'm really sorry we'll pause in my upkeep and we'll come back and we'll start at my upkeep and i was like all right i kind of left and the rest of the pod followed me and we all got to this table and we kind of i literally had to push through the crowd to find oh out what God. was happening i was like what what's going on here one of our community members michaela and michaela is a very loves high-powered decks. She's got a... I've got a Gishath deck, but my Gishath deck is... (laughs) Bunny dinosaurs go punch. Her Gishath deck is... Big dinosaur punch you, kill you. Yes. Like, it it is very powerful deck. She also has an Adrix and Nev deck. I think that's how you pronounce it. The token one, the double one. Yeah, the one that's basically doubling season on a... Well, not not in procession on a creature. Yeah, not in procession on a creature. Yeah. Um, And we were talking about sequencing in this episode, so it's actually kind of phenomenal how well this worked out because the, the play... I can't remember specifically the play sequence... But they did explain that there was a really clever sequence in which they did to end up in this situation. Right. So after I pushed through the crowd, I was like, "What? What's going on here? What's all this hullabaloo and crazy? Why is everyone yelling at my name? Why is Why is everyone laughing so hard? And the players, okay, Michaela's face smiling, brilliant, like absolutely glowing. Yeah. Everyone else at the table's face was the look of someone with a gun pointed directly between their eyes, and I was like. Why is everyone so miserable? And I looked on Michaela's battlefield. There was one... <laughs> this is hilarious. It was one Scoot Swarm token, right? Okay. With about 15 dice on it. Tw- D20s. Right. So there was like 100 or like 200... No, 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 no. Scoot no. Swarms? No. You know when you're, in, when you're in math class in high school and you have to use those CAS calculators, the really big scientific calculators? Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you punch in an equation that's so complicated the calculator can't give you a number, but it gives you like... 1.7 to the 190th power. Yes. That was the amount of scoot swarms that were on Michaela's battlefield. Oh my god. It got to a point where Michaela had to use not just like because you know how when you get scoot swarms, you like put a d6, landfall, put 2d6. Like, you know, yeah. you know, you do it like up like you know, so you represent how many. So each dot means it's a scoot swarm. Yeah. No, Michaela was using d20s to represent the number of scoot swarms so like the digits of the number the digits on the dice were re- so she, so for example if you had like three d20s lined up and it was 20 19 and 3 it would be 
20,000... Oh my god. And there was just an obscene amount of dice everywhere. And Michaela was sat there holding like one card in hand, bouncing her shoulders up and down like this. I can picture that. (laughs) And it was a buff spell. It was like something Uh, that was like, everything gets plus whatever, plus whatever and swings. Would you even need it? It was (laughs) like, honestly, and it was like the reason why they're all laughing is because the way Michaela sequenced the play, she didn't realise that it would end up looping and cause like a ton of landfall triggers. And this kind of effect would happen where like multiple triggers would stack. There was like something like a double landfall triggers effect. I think it was the um, ancient green warden where it doubled landfall triggers. Right. Event. Then there was a double token effect on her commander. Then there was a parallel live. There was all these things going on where the math on the calculate, like no one could do it in their head. So it required the pod to ask other people around them for help for the math. Oh my God. And it just ended up being like the whole back section of our store was like, it was like, you know, have you seen um, the, the, um, the movie with Benedict Cumberbatch where they break the Enigma Code. Is it called the Enigma Code? Uh, imitation Game. Imitation Game. You know that scene where um, there's the room full of uh, women um, doing the math. Actually, haven't seen it. Oh, you need to watch it. It's a phenomenal film. Really, Benedict Cumberbatch is fantastic in it. Great uh, LGBT film as well. Really good. Yes, I have heard that. Um, Anyway, there you go. Go watch that film. (laughs) A little thing for the podcast. But it was like there's this scene where all so there was a big thing because during the war, obviously, a lot of the men were out of war, so the women were there accessible to do the math. There wasn't a lot of educated men because they were all out at war yeah. so the educated women were the ones that really broke down the math of it yeah there's this awesome scene where they go into this room and the doors open is really well shot and there's just all these women just with whiteboards and chalkboards and like paper everywhere that was what the back of our store looks like <laughs> it was like they were cracking the enigma code for german information oh and it was just to calculate the amount of scoops for them so play of the week well done michaela on generating what i only called infinite scoots like because it did end there was an end to this loop or whatever but yeah phenomenal (laughs) i've never seen uh, like if that happened on arena it wouldn't just break the computer you're playing on it would break the game the server (laughs) and wizards of the coast would just shut down no more no more magic yeah we break it we've broken life There's a point where, like, people just go, yeah, you know what, I'm going to concede here. Yeah, and (laughs) maybe that's the one downside to Arena is that you reach board states where that would never happen because the person who you're playing against would say, okay, I'm done. (laughs) Thank you. Good game. Bye-bye. Sometimes (laughs) I am the opponent, though, that sees someone pop off on Arena and goes, you know what, nah. I'm going to let them screen record this. I do like when I, they do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. When, when people are kind of like, no, no, like I'm not, I'm not rubbing them of this moment. Yeah. yeah. I have one of my decks on, um, in standard at the moment uses, um, Maniform Hellkite, which is whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you create an XX flying dragon where X is the mana uh, cast. Yeah. It uses, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, Goldspan dragon. Whenever it's targeted, you create a treasure token. Yes, yes. And the card that breaks this combo is a card called ancestral anger, anger, which is one red. It gets plus X plus O where X is the number of and cards called ancestral anger in your graveyard. Plus one, plus one plus. Yeah. So yeah. the first one you cast is one. Then the second one is plus two. Yeah. So, yeah. And so on. So if you target Goldspan dragon, 
you get a treasure. So it generates you, and Kogolspan Dragon allows you to sack it for two. It's a spell that generates you mana. With Mana Form Hellcard on board, you're generating a dragon, you're generating mana, you're cast, and you just, and because also Ancestral Anger draws you a card as well. Oh, it does too. It is one of these things, and I got into a game where, like, I was popping off, I had all four Ancestrals in my hand, and I was just going spam, spam, spam. And I was like, I'm waiting for my opponent to concede, and they didn't. So I, like, took a screenshot of the 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 game state and I was like thank you for letting me do that I appreciate you letting me go off <laughs> well that always throws back to all of our episodes about communicating where like sometimes rather than concede it's better to let your opponent let them have a good have game. their time yeah. in the sun great yeah. well thanks thanks for that James and um, we'll catch you all in the next one see folks. you next time and the paper oh ah! yeah ah! there we go oh, goes. oh my oh. <laughs> James's life flashed before his eyes oh, all right bye. goodbye goodbye <laughs>